by downloading or listening to this podcast. You are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. And a very warm welcome to Focus on Finance, our new podcast series where we discuss short-term trends and longer-term structural events affecting the credit of banks, insurance companies, and asset managers. I'm your host, Danielle Reed, coming to you from my home in New York. In today's episode, we turn our attention to the Asia-Pacific region, where my colleague Jun Yang will be speaking to Alka Anbarasu of the banking team about difficulties India's public sector banks are facing in keeping as large a capital buffer as they need, which banks are most vulnerable, and how they're dealing with those problems. Jun, how dire is the situation for India's banks? Thanks, Danielle. Yes, the fallout from the coronavirus has sent India's economy into recession, and as a consequence, loan defaults will increase, as you'd expect. Now, the impact will be particularly significant for public sector banks, uh, which dominate the banking system in India. They already have a long history of capital problems because they have weak balance sheets. And because of the current economic downturn, we estimate that they will have uh, new capital shortages that amount to anywhere between 25 billion US dollars to 28 billion US dollars in the next two years. And that's just to maintain capital levels where they need to be. Thanks, Jun. Alka Anbarasu will be joining us from Singapore in a little while to talk to Jun about India's banks. But first, I'll be speaking to Antonello Aquino in London about a sharp increase in social and political demands on Europe's insurers, as their clients too struggle with economic fallout from the pandemic. Antonello, welcome to Focus on Finance. Thank you, Danielle. Great to be here. Antonello, I understand there are two different kinds of demands European insurers are facing right now. Political demands, on the one hand, having to do with the kind of coverage they're offering commercial clients to compensate for forced business closures. So that's one. Then secondly, you've talked about demands from their clients, social pressure, to actually hand back some premiums as a way of sharing profits that certain insurers have made during the pandemic as people were forced to stay home. Can you explain why some insurers profited during the pandemic and what exactly their clients are asking those insurance companies to do? Sure, Danielle. Uh, Yes, this is an interesting dynamic because uh, clearly the coronavirus outbreak has had an adverse impact for the industry uh, overall. Uh, But however, there are part of the insurance industry that have counterintuitively uh, actually making exceptional profits for example, motor insurance. This is a large business line that accounts for around 40% of property and casualty premiums for the industry. What's interesting is that during the uh, coronavirus time, governments have uh, avoided for people to drive, and that has meant that the number of accidents has drastically reduced during few months. For example, if we look in at April, the number of road accidents in France fell around 75% uh, year on year. As a result, the property and casualty uh, sector will report significantly one-off gains uh, at a time when finances for uh, household and families will be um, more under stress. 
And so clearly this is uh, fostering uh, social pressure to return some of these exceptional profits to the families and to, uh, and to customers. And what we have seen uh, is already some insurance companies have provided full or partial premium refunds or even discounts on future premiums. So insurance companies' clients in some way think it's fair for their insurers to share in the economic pain that the pandemic has caused, or at least the clients are arguing insurers shouldn't have gained quite so much from a situation that was out of everyone's control. Now, what about legal actions European insurers are facing? I believe those have to do with business interruption insurance. Most policies are worded so insurers normally wouldn't have to pay this kind of claim in a pandemic, correct? Yes, this is a clearly a very fluid situation for the industry. You're right, business interruption policies do not generally cover pandemic risk. Uh, they only cover claims when there is a property damage. For example, if there is a fire that would interrupt the business production, clearly that would be proper claim to be paid. Having said that, uh, what the policyholders are saying is that they argue that some of the exclusion are not very clear and so the pandemic are not always very clearly uh, taken out from this coverage. Uh, and so they are pursuing a legal action uh, against some insurance companies. What we have seen, for example, in France is that the regulator has concluded that around 4% of uh, business interruption policies would require a court case to resolve claims uh, disputes. And clearly this will leave uh, insurance companies posed for additional reserve strengthening in future months. The same situation or similar situation in the United Kingdom, where the uh, UK regulator uh, has asked the UK High Court uh, to rule on um, policy wording, and that can open compensation again for some of these customers uh, for the damage coming from business interruption. Now, could some of this focus from regulators in particular and these legal cases in general, uh, could it change the way these policies are written in the future or the kinds of events insurers might have to cover in the future, do you think? Do you see that as something of a risk for the industry? Well, yes, I believe that uh, the pandemic in itself will uh, change the way of thinking on the industry in different areas. I mean, number one, when we think of pandemic or when we have total pandemic in the past, you generally associate a pandemic with mortality risk. So what we generally see is that uh, life insurance companies are the most affected because of their mortality book. However, what we have seen in this crisis is that the pandemic is uh, foremost a property and casualty event because of the lockdown action taken by governments. So that's a completely rethink uh, of the, the risk associated with the pandemic. Number two, also what this uh, crisis has highlighted is that there, is been, uh, there is some loose languages in the terms and condition in the commercial lines. And what we expect as a result of that is that there will be more um, automation, particularly in uh, under commercial underwriting uh, for insurance as a way to fix this issue. I wanted to ask about the longer term. After all this pressure has been brought to bear socially and politically and uh, insurance companies have had to make these extraordinary one-time payments and give back some profit, where does that leave them financially in the longer term? 
Looking at the short to medium term, so the next six to 12 months, we believe that uh, the outbreak uh, is, is manageable for the industry. Um, it will be more an earnings event than a capital event. Uh, we expect claims uh, between 50 to 80 billion euros. So relatively big, so like a mid-sized cut events, but still manageable. Uh, however, longer term, one of the consequences of the coronavirus is the impact on interest rates. We already come from years of low interest rates, uh, but we clearly expecting some sort of increase. Now, with this event, what we have seen is that central banks have brought down interest rates even farther. And so the expectation is that interest rates will continue to be so low for an extended period of time. And that's very negative for the sector because they rely on interest rates to make money uh, in terms of investment income. And number two, uh, they've sold products in the past with high level of guarantees. Uh, and in order to match some, some of those guarantees, they will need to report losses. So clearly this is a headwind for the industry. Antonello, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. Joining us now from Hong Kong is Jun Yang, who will be talking with Alka Anbarasu of the banking team about the somewhat bleak outlook for capital levels at India's public sector banks. Jun, over to you. Thanks, Danielle. Alka, capital has been a key weakness for public sector banks in India, and that raises a lot of interesting questions given their dominance in the system. So what's been the cause of this issue? Indeed, Jun. Public sector banks have been facing capital shortages over the past many, many years. And uh, the problems for Indian public sector banks have started from their corporate loans, which turned into NPLs in over the past five years. So just to set the stage, uh, India experienced a boom of uh, infrastructure sector between 2009 to 2012, and all the banks lent out large sums of money to infrastructure companies. Subsequently, India's economic growth came down, and number of problems started with those, those projects that led to a sharp increase in NPLs for the public sector banks, likewise for, the, for their private sector peers as well. And this led to a sharp increase in credit costs, hurting their bank's capitalization and led the banks to have capital shortages over many years. And this is despite the fact that the Indian government has been providing capital to every bank over the past 10 years or so, Nevertheless, their capital has been a key weakness in their credit profiles. So now India, uh, which already had been coping with an economic slowdown even before the coronavirus, is facing an even more severe downturn because of the coronavirus. So how will this play out for banks in India, particularly uh, public sector banks? So the situation seems quite, uh, quite uh, stressful for the Indian banks. And uh, perhaps the time will tell in terms of how things evolve in India. Having said that, we have done some scenario analysis and we think that uh, public sector banks will face asset quality issues again. And this is coming at a time when the balance sheets were just about cleaning up. However, this time around, we think the problems will emerge from the bank's retail and SME loans. While we expect the quality of the bank's corporate loans will be relatively okay, this is because, as I explained earlier, the banks have largely recognized a large part of the corporate book as stresses, and those corporate loans are now in a stage of recovery. Putting all of this together, we think credit costs for the banks will materially increase, could even double compared to the current levels, hurting their, uh, their profitability, 
and we think that public sector banks will start facing capital shortages again and this is coming just after a period when the government has just completed a very large recapitalization of the public sector banks in the past 3 years i see so they will have large capital shortages again and that means they, they will need to raise new money uh somewhere somehow uh realistically what are the options to do this yeah sure jun so perhaps let's set the numbers in context uh in our base scenario that i just described above where we expect a sharp decline in india's economic growth in this year but a rebound next year we expect banks could face capital shortages of as high as 25 billion dollars for all public sector banks put together but in a situation where india's economic growth does not come back or if the virus outbreak situation is prolonged we think that the capital needs of banks could nearly double to about 45 billion dollars So we are talking about very large capital needs of the public sector banks once again. Uh, to answer your question, realistically, what options do they have? We think the banks only have one option, and we think that they will have to rely on the government for capital support. And to that extent, we do think that the government will provide support to the banks. And why is that the case? So there are two perhaps main drivers for this. One, the government is a large shareholder in these banks. in some of these banks government owns stake of as high as 80 to 90% so clearly the shareholder needs to come through to provide capital support and the second reason is that we think that there will be quite some uncertainty around the evolution of the bank's balance sheets over the next 12 to 18 months and in that context we don't think these banks will have access to equity capital markets and therefore they will need to rely on the government to provide capital support Having said that we do think that some large banks do have access to ca- equity capital markets and amongst them being the largest public sector bank in India State Bank of India this bank also has stakes in un- uh, in listed subsidiaries which is a source of capital but beyond the largest bank State Bank of India we think all other banks will largely depend on capital support from the Indian government so we're talking a large sum of money and it should be a pretty big uh, financial burden for the indian government as well given that they must have a lot of other things to spend money on uh daniel i know you are interested in the government's role in this situation yes thanks john what i'd really like to know alka is why is it so critical for the government to support these banks yeah so let me perhaps uh, give this answer in two parts so first addressing jun's question that it's a big financial burden for the indian government and indeed it's a big financial burden for the indian government particularly coming at a time when the government's fiscal position is itself not in the best shape and compared to bwa 3 peers that we rate globally the india's fiscal position stands out as a weaker element of the sovereign rating so in that context supporting public sector banks over and over again is indeed a big financial burden to the indian government now turning to daniel's question as to why is it critical for the government to support these banks So perhaps to set numbers in context we are talking about public sector banks who dominate the Indian banking system these banks represent close to 70% of the banking system by assets and these banks are critical for channeling credit growth in the system in fact when when we started talking we we talked about the fact that india's economic growth had slowed even prior to the coronavirus outbreak and that was largely driven by a slowdown in credit growth in the system because india's financial system is facing multiple areas of weakness and in particular the non bank finance companies or the shadow lenders 
have materially slowed their loan growth because these companies are facing liquidity problems. So in that context, if India's government wants economic growth to come back or to be able to bring the economy back to the same levels of growth as India was experiencing prior to the coronavirus outbreak, it is quite important for the government to provide capital to the public sector banks because they play a very dominant role in the system. Got it. Thank you, Jun and Alka. Thank you so much both for joining us and thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. Tune in again on Wednesday, September 9th for the next episode of Moody's Talks, Focus on Finance.